0: So we're doing a, a series. Uh, I'm doing a series called Discipled by Jesus, and we're working through Mark's Gospel in our thinking of how we're disciples of Jesus. So I want to ask you a question first of all. So who, who put your hand up if you think you, Christians, Christianity, are pro-family, pro-family? You know what I mean by that? In f- positive about family. Put your hands up if Christians are pro-family. Okay. Most of you should have your hands up. The Bible's full of kind of stuff of positive things about, about family. And you probably hear lots and lots of talks about family. And, and you, I, I guess churches will do, uh, we do that sometimes. They Mother's Day, big deal. Father's Day, big deal. You know, there'll be parenting classes and marriage courses and all of that. And, and so you would expect, in one sense, Christianity to be pro-family, and, you know, there's stuff in the Bible where, you know, it says in the Ten Commandments, don't sleep with someone else's partner. Don't commit adultery or honor your father and mother that you may live a long time. I like to quote that to my kids. I said, look, if you want to live a long time, if you want to live a long time, you better honor your father and your mother. So there's commandments about the strength of family and stuff, but also it, even the requirements of an elder, a leader of a church is very much kind of uh, about family. So... One Timothy three. It says, "An elder, a leader of a church, must be above reproach, faithful to his wife. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner that's worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Obviously, since we've had James living with us, I'm feeling more vulnerable on this area. Particularly, you know, as my kids are rude and disrespectful over uh, dinner time, and I don't manage my family well, and I model all sorts of wrong things. So actually, James, you can't leave. But actually, uh, you'd think, well, you know, that's what Christians are—pro-family. We've got to be positive. Family. Here's here's this—a quote from a a, a website called About Atheism. So obviously, it's not pro-Christian. About Atheism, it says this. Christians today portray themselves as staunch defenders of family values. Not so much because they're simply good people, but rather because they are such good followers of the principles set down by Jesus. According to them, following what God wants will naturally make you a better mother, a better father, a better sibling, and so forth. In short, family values come from the sort of good Christian Jesus expects you to be. And then they had this sting in the top. However... Such passages as Mark 3, which is what we're going to read today, make the whole family values argument of modern evangelical Christians difficult to uphold. In other words, what we're going to talk about today sounds not pro family at all. Having said that Christians are pro family, what, what, what Jesus is, what we're going to read from Jesus today, uh, makes uh, actually. The whole idea of of Christians being pro-family, according to the atheists, complete nonsense. Phil Moore, who's uh, speaking at West Point, so I thought I'd use a quote from him. Do book in for West Point. I'm the only one booked in so far. You will leave it till late and then wish you'd come and wish you'd got it cheaper. So just do that before December, before Christmas overwhelms you. Go home and do it now. Now, Phil Moore, who's in his book, uh, Gagging Jesus, says this. Jesus didn't have a public relations manager. It's probably just as well. If he had, his public re- manage, relations manager would been very disappointed when Jesus gave some teaching about family life. And it says, Jesus didn't have a public re- relations manager, but you can just imagine the look of shock and disappointment on the PR manager's face when he heard what Jesus had to say and so forth. You, you think Actually, if you just had a PR manager, when Jesus makes these comments about family, you can imagine his PR fam- uh, manager going, No, this is a disaster. Let's read it. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived. You're not shocked by this. You should be, because you've heard it before. But if you heard this for the first time from Jesus, you'd go, whoa. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrives, Mark 3:31. Standing outside, they sent one in, someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they, and they told him, your mother and brother are outside looking for you. What would you do? Imagine you're here, I'm here, Let's so I'm preaching, my mother comes to the door, and I just say, Who are my brother and my mother? Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. It's actually shocking, isn't it? My mom comes to the door, She comes. she's 80 odd, and I'd say, Imagine she comes to the house and says, Who are you? what are you doing here? That would be the shocking thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, You think that Jesus would just naturally say, actually family values are really, really important. I'm just going to break off here. I'm just going to chat to my mom because she's Hail Mary, full of grace. We're going to talk to her and I'm going to talk to my younger, because you've got a question about the virginity of Mary before she had Jesus, younger brother and sisters. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He looks around, almost at this kind of crowd, I don't know, you know, how many people, 40, 50 people, was there more, was there less, I don't know. He looks around and says, Here is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother, brother, and sister. And actually, these verses... Jesus, although they're kind of positive about family, Jesus kind of drills down some dynamite and places it right in the in the kind of bedrock of, of what we think about family. And then if you read Luke 14, I mentioned it when I did, dissented centred on Jesus, he, he just says, unless you hate your mother and father, you're not worthy of me. And he kind of explodes it. And we don't really see the seismic shock of it. We kind of say, well, actually, he doesn't really mean that, does he? What he really means is, just get your priorities slightly right. And I talked about this, just get your priorities slightly right. Love God a little bit more than your family. But actually, in this passage, in Mark 3, Jesus is doing some radical redefining of some stuff. He's doing some radical redefining. And so I'm not going to read you the whole passage, but if you want to go home and read Mark 3, what he's doing is doing some radical redefining of people's identities. He's actually challenging two of the biggest identities in a Jewish person's life. He's saying, the first thing he redefines is things about your nationhood. What does it mean to be God's people? And the second thing he redefines is what it means to be God's family, to be in family. So the two help us to inform each other. So let's just look at it quickly. Um, Mark 3.13, if you've got it, I, I didn't put it there, I don't think. It says, Jesus went up onto a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and he sent them out. That means that's like apostle. The word sent them out means apostled them to preach. Anyway, two little clues in that, that verse about another big event in Jewish identity. Talk to your neighbor and let's see if we can come up with it. It's easy. Talk to your neighbor. Two big things. In that verse, Jesus went up to a mountainside, called to him those who he wanted, and he appointed twelve that they might be apostles or sent out to preach the word. Anyone want to play? Twelve tribes. Yeah, we'll go for twelve tribes. Twelve tribes, twelve apostles. What else? Mountainside. Mount Sinai, giving of the law, what comes out from Mount Sinai is the word of God. They are sent out to preach the word of God. What is Jesus doing? He's making it absolutely clear. Twelve tribes, now twelve of my followers. Twelve sons of Jacob, now twelve followers of Jesus. And he sends them out, not with the law of Moses, but sends them out to preach his words. He's totally redefining what it means to be the people of God. Make no wonder the people around him thought, he's mad. His mother and fa- his father, his mother and brothers and sisters come to him in the next verse and say, you're mad. It's a bit like American, there's an the next slide here, it's a bit like an American uh, saying, I am the new George Washington, Or Thomas Jefferson or whatever, founding fathers. And instead of pledging the allegiance to what do Americans pledge allegiance to? Does anyone know? The flag and the? The flag and the? Constitution. I pledge allegiance to the flag and constitution of the United States. They say it every day in school or wherever, don't they? Yeah? It's like saying actually, no longer are you going to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag and constitution of the United States of America. I pledge allegiance to Jesus and his words. If somebody said, Barack Obama says, I'm now going to redefine what it means to be American, you're going to pledge allegiance to me, you would say, he was out of his head, wouldn't you? And that's what Jesus is doing. You've got to understand the context of what Jesus is doing. He's punching into their culture and saying, I'm going to redefine what it means to be the people of God. So make no wonder his family think he's out of his head. It isn't just a revolutionary idea. This is revolution. He's either mad... Or bad if you do the elf course, or God, he's either got the right to do it, or he's out of his head, or he's some kind of revolutionary subversive. But what is going on? And then Mark takes up the story in um, Mark uh, uh, verse twenty. Says then Jesus entered the house, and again a crowd gathered, so his disciples were not even able to eat. I love that. Do you? Uh, who, who's put that in? <laughs> you know, we met in our gospel community, and there were so many we weren't able to eat. <laughs> Their are priorities, I love it, all the way through. Man, we weren't able to eat. This was a bad day. This is a serious day. Jesus is redefining Israel, and they're saying, McDonald's is packed. <laughs> but anyway, blah, blah, blah. He says, they weren't able to eat, and when his family heard about this, not that the disciples weren't able to eat. Quote, when the disciples heard about this, oh, the disciples are able to eat. He's out of his head. No, what are they referring to? He's out of his head. He's referring to what he's just done on the mountain. When they hear he's redefining himself as the people of God, the true Israel, they think he's mad. And they want to come and take him away. It says they, they want to take charge of him. They want to take control of him, saying he's a nutter. And actually, it's interesting. Once your family decide that you're, um, you're a slightly off beam, then everyone else will follow If you don't stick up for your family, if you say nasty things about your family, everyone else will follow. So it's very dangerous. Again, if my wife says something negative about me, most of you lot don't go, that's really unfair about Howard. Yes, that is true. He is like that, isn't he? So I was going to show you, tell you some of my challenges as we go forward. I thought, no, I'm not. Because, you know, it's, it's dangerous ammunition. And they say, they absolutely say, yes, he is out of his mind. And they up the ante. It says, then the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem, AK forty sevens in hand. He's demonised by the Lord of the Flies or Beelzebub by Satan. Jesus, time out. It says he called them over, began to speak to them in parables. Okay, he says, how can Satan drive out Satan? Just interesting. He says, if a kingdom, not that word kingdom. Kingdom talks about what? King and. King and Dom. In the in the Latin, it means king and Dom. No, it talks about nation, kingdom. Think nation. Think what he's just done. Think nation. And then what he says, he talks about house. If a house, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. He's not talking about your semi-detached house. What kind of house is he talking about? What's the other word? Family, dynasty. He's coming and saying, Here we go. If you're divided, your opinion is divided about nation, you will find in him, in me, saying, You'll find there's no division. He's been subversive about nation, and they're all happy with him and say, The only reason you divide is because you don't agree with my opinion. And he's about to be subversive about family. And then he says to him, if Satan opposes himself, is divided, how can he stand can end, as the end not come? And he talks about how, you know, disarming the strong man. But basically, those two themes of nation and family, Jesus is saying, I'm redefining them in me. Then, we get to our little verse, it might help us to understand what's going on a little bit. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrives. So what have they done first? They've said, he's out of his mind, let's take him. He's out of his mind, quick, let's get him out, shut up. Let's get him out, he's embarrassing everybody. They want to control him. If you've ever been in family, if you ever felt control, you're not supposed to say yes, Gary. Who was who said yes, I don't know. You're supposed to say mm, yes, or was it, was it my son at the back? Oh, right, thank you. Thank you, Zach. No, no, you don't know. Actually, I'm not controlling, I am redefining what it means to be a Kelly. It's in me, mate. So they come and control him, don't they? And he uh, he then says, they're standing outside. They've come to control you. They've sent someone. They sent someone to call him in. The crowd was sitting around. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he says, who then are my mother and brothers? Then he looked at those sitting in a circle and says, redefined family. Redefined family. You are my mother and brothers and sisters. Heads okay, up, track. That's what he's doing. So let's just pick that up. You know that what Jesus is doing is basically discounting blood ties. Without being too cheesy, too cheesy, he's talking about another blood distinction. You know, saved by the blood of Jesus is going to be making your family. He discounts the special status of shared genes. But what he's saying is, whoa, whoa, whoa! What's the priority? What's your priority? It's not shared genes. It's not biological family. Your identity is in something else. It sounds fanatical. We've been taught, haven't we, that to be a faithful follower of Jesus, we need to honour our parents and all that. But actually, Jesus is cutting right to the root of that. And the problem is, with family, I'm not against family, don't get me wrong. You know, I've, I've got one. I'm in one. You know, the, 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 the problem with family is that, that actually they become, hear this, the defining influence of our lives. The question you've got to ask yourself, is that good or bad? The family becomes the defining influence of your life. Good or bad? Talk to your neighbor. Is that good? The family, family is the defining thing in your life. It's the thing that defines who you are. Good or bad? Okay, okay, Tom. Yeah, fine. Tom, what would you like? Is it good or bad? Family, the defining influence of your life. Tom Foster. No, don't qualify. Yes or no? It's bad. Now, if you've got a good family, if you've got a good family, you'd say, what are you talking about? But if you've got a really bad family, you'd say, dead right. My family's a mess up. You know, it's a train wreck. Absolutely, I don't want to be defined by that. But if you come from a nice well-rounded nuclear family of two you know, parents and a couple of kids and a couple of grandparents in tow. You know, you come from that lovely family and Christmas is just a delight. And you, know, you say, what are you talking about? Family's a great thing. Phil Morse is this. In the residential suburbs, he lives in Wimbledon, so it's kind of like Cheltenham plugged onto the end of London, if you've never been to Wimbledon. The residential suburbs where I live is full of yummy mummies and devoted dads who (coughs) build their lives around their children. It would be safer, he says, to come between a she-bear and her cubs than to challenge the people in my neighbourhood about their child-centred lives. Jesus, he says, went after the values of the type of respectable parents, those most likely to be found in respectable churches on Sunday, and launched a full frontal attack on their most cherished idols of their lives being family. Now, obviously, if church is just a meeting you go to on a Sunday for an hour and a half, or a building or some kind of distant institution. If you're asked to trade the real relationships, good or bad, of family for this kind of slightly stodgy, formal kind of meeting, it seems a nutcase thing to do, doesn't it? Because you know, you can go to church in and out, not really know anybody. You know, hide all your issues, how are you doing? Fine. You know, how's everything fine? How's your week fine? You know, and you go in and out and you sing a few songs and that's the church for you, no one's going to trade real family, good or bad for that, are they? But I don't think that's what Jesus is asking us to contrast. I don't think he's asking us to, to define it. It seems ridiculous that Jesus would say, you know, actually trade the real relationships of family for the plastic relationships of, of church attendance. He's not talking about that. He's actually talking about a different way of family that actually that, that that our family is 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 not ultimately to shape our identity what's happened in your family good or bad is not ultimately to shape our identity it, it is actually well it, thank you i'll just read it jesus is <laughs> redefining family as a community of those who follow him for jesus is your tr- ultimate identity and what you what truly shapes us is not our national ethnicity nor our nuclear family, but being part of the people of God, the family of God. Now, you can believe that in theory, but if you don't really try and endeavour to live it, then really what you're doing is just being shaped by the world around you. Now, it's interesting, my wife read this book, and actually, Q. helper. So, my wife read this book. I didn't like the title, because I'm from Yorkshire, and it's a bit too touchy-feely. The title is called, Emotionally healthy spirituality now it's the sort of book with a title like that my wife's going to read and i'm not i'm emotionally healthy but you know give me biblical theology of the new testament you know but emotionally healthy spirituality and nazi was buzzing about this book and um she said there's a conference by this guy italian guy from new york whose name's at the top of the page and i can't pronounce it. they said, would you like to go to this conference about emotionally healthy spirituality? And because I just, you know, wanted to keep on good side of my wife, I thought I'd go. Now, he did this exercise which I, I, find, I thought was interesting. Now, you're going to read it now, which is obviously, I, I did do teaching practice many years ago, but I know now what's going to happen is you're not going to listen to me, you're going to read this. But I want to just highlight this and then I want you to put it away. And, and, and then we'll talk about it. Basically, what do you do? There should be a slide joke with this up. Okay. Basically, it's what, what he calls I don't like the title because it sounds a bit weird. It's basically a family tree. He calls it a genogram. You know, Americans like to de- develop terms, genogram. Okay, and what you do in this genogram is you, you map out your family relationship. So it's a square for a, a man, circle for a woman, so, dad and mum, and then grandfather one, grandmother uh, one. You can see that? And what you're meant to do is kind of map the the nature of relationships between them. So, if your grandparents were married, you've got a solid line. If they were living together, you've got a dotted line. If they were together and then they didn't stay together, you've got a line that says that there's a broken relationship. If it's two lines, it's like the complete, there's a divorce if there was a second relationship where, you know, they remarried, you can have a dotted line or whatever. Do you understand? So he tries to get you to map the nature of the relationships. And then he tries to talk about, well, what are those relationships like? So you put yourself in, drop yourself down, Eric and Barbara, my mum's parents' name. Drop yourself down, Howard, Ruth, Deborah, Jonathan, my kids, my, my, my uh, sibs. And then underneath that, you obviously drop out the Kellets and Naomi and then it talks about draw lines between them, between if there's three lines, not three lions, but three lines, is controlling relationship. A dotted line is a, a distant relationship. Uh, a dotted line with two lines across is a relationship that's broken, I'm not speaking to you ever again, sort of thing. If there's conflict or rowing or fighting, that's an earthquakey type line. And if there's abuse which is a mix of conflict and control, you put that in. Okay? See how that works? So it's just an interesting way. So, okay, what I'd like you to do is, I'm going to unpack one for you. I was going to do my own, and I thought, no, that would be far too exposing. So I'm going to do one from the Bible. Okay? But I'm going to talk about how family shapes you in a positive or negative sense, and then what we're going to do about it, what Jesus is talking about is redefining. So that's where we're going to go for the rest. Are you, are you with me? So what I'd like to do is, in your threes or with some friends, map this out, and then say, let's sit down and talk about it. I found when I mapped mine out at this conference, it was like, whoa. And they said that explains a heck of a lot about you, which is why I'm not telling you. And Nazi mapped hers out, and obviously I'll tell you all the stuff that was in hers. (laughs) And I think, yeah, absolutely, that says so much about that, you know, whatever. But it's just interesting. So, rather than take that, let's, let's just see if this is true. I mean, what, in one sense, I'm nervous about family stuff because, you know, there's a, people quote this verse and I've been nervous about this verse for a long time and I still am says, you shall not make for yourself an image or an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or the earth beneath or the waters. And then he says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. It's talking about idolatry. And then he's this kind of strange thing that follows on from that. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. It's quite strong, isn't it? But loving that, uh, showing love to a thousand, that's the biggest, word, biggest number they had in Judaism, to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And it's interesting here, this keep my commandments is a little bit like do the will of the Father or do the God's will that Jesus quotes. So, you know, and so there's a sense where actually stuff does go down through families. Now the danger is that we, when you talk about stuff that goes down through families, you can have a field day. So I've met people who think, oh, my family. My family were into this, my family into this, my family into this, my family into this, and that defines me, so therefore I'm a victim. That is not the right approach. Or the other one is, no, nah, I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that comes to me from my family, and I'm all new. Theologically true, but actually you do have to work through the issues of your past. So so just be careful. I'm not suggesting we get into generational curses and lifting all the gravestones around our families and tiptoeing around and saying, oh, you know, my dad was a, a Freemason, so that I'm a Freemason. And there's no kind of power in the cross of Jesus. But I am saying I found it helpful to understand some of my trends in my family so that I could be discipled properly. So let's just look at um, the next one. There's Abraham and all that. So Abraham, Isaac... Jacob and Joseph. These are the four things that you can find if you read that story in Genesis. Lying and deceit. I'll unpack it for you in a sec. Unhealthy marriages. Favoritism. Sibling rivalry. And relational cutoff. Let's put the picture up and I'll talk you through it as you look. So here's a here's diagram worked out for that family. Okay, lying and deceit. Abraham does what about his wife Sarah? Lies twice about her. She sleeps with Pharaoh, sleeps with another man, because he's not prepared to admit that she's, she's his wife because he's scared of Pharaoh. Good start, Abraham. Uh, what, uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, how, does she, how is she deceitful? Does anyone know the story? goes around kind of Isaac and uh, Jacob. Does anybody know? She helps, yes, she helps her younger son, Jacob, to deceive his father, Isaac. Yeah? okay what's Jacob's name mean deceiver he lies to everyone you read the story he lies to everyone everyone lies to him he lies to everyone and of Jacob's ten sons you know you've all seen you know Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat here he is yeah ten sons some of them to first wife Leah who's sister of second wife Rachel and a couple to some slaves it's rather chaotic And the ten of them hate the two, Joseph and Benjamin. And what do they do? Come on, you've seen the amazing technical drinker. They kill him, don't they? They'll pretend to kill him, dip his robe, his amazing technical coat in blood, and say, Oh, he's dead, he's dead. And they go through this whole mourning and funeral sham. So, lions, right through, all the way through. Unhealthy marriages. Abraham obviously lets his wife sleep with Pharaoh. Not a good start. Uh, he sleeps with his uh, his wife's slave girl. She says, why don't you sleep with my slave girl? He should have said, don't be daft. Rather than, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that might work. We could get a solution here. Um, Rebecca manipulates her husband Isaac in favor of her son. Um, Jacob is tricked into marrying Leah and then the one he loves. And Leah lives in shame and bitterness. Favoritism. Okay, Isaac... Uh, Abram has a son called Ishmael to, to Hagar, the slave girl. What happens to that to that to that son? You can see it in the picture. What's the two lines? He's cut off, isn't he? He's, she's sent away and he's cut off. And there's division. It's called the Arab Israeli conflict. You know, it's there still. Um, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, favors Jacob, her youngest son over Esau. Jacob fought favors Joseph and Benjamin over the other brothers yeah and then lastly the cut off we've got Ishmael and is cut off from his brother Isaac Esau is cut off from Jacob Joseph is cut off and almost murdered from his brothers do you see how patterns go through the families yeah now what happens with Joseph he could have gone on and his kids he could have worked that way what does Joseph do how does how does Joseph respond to um, lying and deceit. He starts off by, kid, when he sees his brothers, he starts off by lying, doesn't he? Remember? And then, but what does he do afterwards? He can't, he can't can he? He's honest. He says, look, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. What is he like when when he, he, he's accused of, of, of going to sleep with another woman? Uh, he, he, you know, he doesn't like sleep with her to keep, uh, keep everything quiet and deceitful. He says, no, no, I'm not doing that gets thrown in prison. It doesn't show favoritism. In fact, he exposes his brother's favoritism by playing a trick with Benjamin and a cup and all that, if you know the story. It shows how stupid the favoritism is. And instead of being cut off from his brothers, he's reconciled to his brothers. So he breaks the, by living God's way, doing God's will, he breaks the pattern in his family. Yeah? And actually, how does he, ultimately, he becomes their savior, doesn't he? Now that's dangerous. You don't want your brother to be your savior, but we do want Jesus to be our savior. And if we cut off those things, Jesus is our savior, so he feeds them. Okay, so understand that. So I just sat down and just made a quick list of the sort of things that might run through families that, we, that we've got to disciple out of each other. And there's, you could do 20 weeks on this, but I'm not going to get too deep. I picked up the negatives, there's good things that come through families. So what about handling, there's these as a list, put it up, is it there? Handling money and debt, father's in debt, grandfather's in debt, 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 overspending debt, (laughs) runs through. Sexual unfaithfulness and divorce, I I, I know uh, people close to me, uh, not quite in my kind of genogram but not far off. Divorce, 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 just runs through. Sexual unfaithfulness. Power and abuse and control. Runs through families. Victim mentality and self worth, this sense of I'm no good, I'm a victim, just runs family, family, family. The, the, one, one who's a victim becomes, their kids become victims and runs through families. Drivenness runs through families. It's not as easy to see. You know, kind of you want the best education, you want the best career. It becomes you will not be, I won't love you unless you t- perform. My daughter accuses me of this. You know, that actually I'm only interested if she wins the cross country. Second, no, it's not interested, you know. I, I want her to perform, I want her to win, I, I, I kind of can be driven about it. And actually, that that means that you've got to, you know, at my, when I'm at my worst, you've got to earn my approval. I don't try to do that, but, you know, because I'm, I'm quite competitive, but I don't want that. And it kind of runs through families, and I would say it runs through loads of families. That I bet if you've I bet in this room, what, 50 people, 40, 50 people, you you felt uh, uh, my parents would approve of me unless I achieve. You know, guess what? You subtly don't approve your, pair, your kids unless they achieve. And they become like the pushy, driving, you know. Addictions run through. Sexual abuse, pornography, alcohol, alcoholic son, alcoholic father, alcoholic son, alcoholic mother, daughter, runs through. Anger, violence, beating people up, lying, coming up. Relational distance, lack of intimacy and closeness, that runs through. You know, your family, your marriage of your grandparents isn't very close. There's a bit of, maybe a bit of conflict, a bit of distance. Guess what? That their, their kids, unless it's changed, they, they, that, that's how they do relationships. And it goes on through and down. And the relational cut off and breakups that goes through. So, So it's interesting that we can see those patterns, can't we? But what did we say? We're not to be an early landing here. We're not to be defined by those things. Do you understand? That list, we are not to be defined by that list. Actually, say that. Say, my identity is not defined by my family. Say it, be bold. So if you've got these negative things that come through your family yes, that you're set free from by the blood of Jesus, but you've got to be discipled out of, you know, then you've got, you, you need to work on that. You need to de- disciple it. So, so you know, let's, let's face it. Actually, we were born from a different thing. It says in jo- uh, the beginning of John's Gospel, 1 John 12, it says, uh, talking about receiving Jesus, to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become, does anyone know what it is? children of God, or sons of God, children not born of a natural descent, nor a human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. Right at the beginning of John's Gospel, this is your identity. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your identity. It's a new identity. And Jesus is making these statements about ultimate relationships. Ultimate relationships. What's the ultimate relationship? So, if you think about marriage as your ultimate relationship, actually, that's not what God is asking you to do. Let me say that. If your marriage is your ultimate relationship, that is not the, the relationship that's got to define you. And if you're not married, that means it doesn't mean that you don't have an identity and your life is on hold. What did Jesus say about marriage in eternity? It says there'll be no marriage in eternity what does marriage point to it points to something bigger it points to the trinity it points to that oneness father son and spirit oneness in love but it also points to another relationship that's a bit closer to home does anyone know if you know Ephesians we always use the example to say this is how men should love their wives but actually what's what's marriage pointing to is something else Jesus' relationship with the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we like to take Christ and the church and flow it that way, which is true. Husbands, love your wives. But actually, husbands' relationship with the wife is pointing that way to the ultimate relationship between Christ and his church. So, what about family then? Where's that pointing? It's easy now because I've told you in the last answer. Where's that pointing? Not to Trinity, although there is hints of Trinity in everything, isn't there? Where's it pointing? points to church. It points to church. Not institutionalized, wooden, sitting in rows, never knowing each other church. It points to church and it says, Church is to be family. Church is to be family. I think I put it up as a big one there. Is, that, is it there? I used to say, it's not really church if you're not really friends, but actually, it's not really church if you're not really family. It's so important. Jesus is saying church is to be family. So, what does that make of Mother's Day then? Honor your father and mother. Is Jesus saying don't honor your father and mother? So, what does it make of Mother's Day then? It's every mother. Every woman is honored. Mother or not mother. Married or not married. Every woman is loved and honored. Jesus isn't saying, I don't like you, Mary. You're bad coming to control me. He's saying, actually, if you're a woman in this room and you do my will, I'm going to love you like her. Yeah? Father, the same way. Every man. So Mother's Day and Father's Day is a kind of funny kind of game, isn't it? Because it's kind of saying, biological family. But actually, Jesus says, yeah, that's good. But actually, it points to spiritual family, which is far more important that has got to define us. So Bibles let me t- full of one another's, isn't it you can look them up but i just made up a few if they're not in the bible fine include one another That's what families do isn't it lilo and stitch best uh, gospel on family Fa- lilo lilo and stitch sorry lilo's what you lie on a yeah whatever when you're camping at west point lilo and stitch what's the line family means that no, one left. no one's get left behind yeah So families include one another, families care for one another, families depend on one another, families challenge one another, families go to what? Go to Nando's with one another, yeah? Families love one another, families look out for another, families, yes Tony, feed each other, families encourage each other, families spend life with one another, families are caring, responsible, loving each other. And we've got to not just say, let's have a small view of family. Is it this nuclear? Is it this biological family, or is it church? Well, actually, we've got to think. Actually, what that is a picture of this. So let me say again, uh, that 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 means whether you're single or married or past married, that you should be, you should feel included. You should feel it's family. And I know that that's not true. So can I just say, if you're married and if you're in a couple, don't turn in on yourself. And wall up and say, this is us. And if you're single, don't feel sorry for yourself and say, well, I'm supposed to be the one that's invited to be. Invite people around. We need to act like family. So couples and marrieds have got responsibility. And singles have got responsibility to say, we are proactively going to act like family. So what we need to do is we need to be reparented by the church. That doesn't mean controlled and manipulated and told what to do by the church, but it means we need to be reparented out of some of our stuff. As we live together in church's family, we should find some of our wrong family patterns of thought and behaviour being replaced by gospel thinking. Gospel thinking. We reparent you. So if you've had bad parenting... You need lots of reparenting. If you've had good parenting, you still need reparenting. Because no parents are perfect. And you can say, well, the church isn't perfect. But Jesus is, and that's the key relationship that's going to reparent you. And as we follow him, we can reparent each other. So let's just put that list up, Zach, that I had at begin at the beginning. Oh, by the way. Okay, here, this one. Yeah, finally. This, this list... I want you to... We're just going to freestyle this. I'll stay away from my notes so I'm not being wooden. Um, No, enter. Do not enter toxic zone. Handling money and debt. If that runs through your family, what's the gospel family way to deal with that? Shout out. Giving and generosity is the family characteristics of God's people which breaks the debt and greed patterns in family. Do you agree with that? So that means you don't need to just give a church, you need to be generous. Because it breaks the pattern. If it's in you, bankruptcy, broken down, never enough money, greedy for money, grabbing for money, give and bless and be generous with your money. Not because it's law, because it breaks the pattern. Okay, you get the idea? Fa- sexual unfaithfulness and divorce? Faithfulness with every relationship. Certainly if you're married, faithfulness in that relationship, but faithfulness in every relationship. Power and abuse and control. What's the, what's the gospel answer to that? Servanthood. Jesus knew that all authority in heaven earth given to him from one of our favorite passages. Therefore took a towel washed the feet of his disciples. Servanthood everybody, when you get power in church, it's, people get abused. People hate authority. I talked about it the last time. The way to deal with that is to say, actually, I, I'm humble with authority. So that abuse can't happen and control can't happen because we're servant-hearted, self-giving. What about victim mentality and self-worth? How does the gospel family deal with that? encouragement if you feel i'm not good enough what's the gospel answer it is encouragement but more than that good, like accepted by jesus accepted by god i'm not good enough i'm a failure no you're accepted by him so therefore we accept one another drivenness and self-worth is similar isn't it grace of god you can't earn it it's not, it's, it's not about a performance or how you do. No, it's grace of God. What about addictions and alcohol and pornography? How do you break those patterns? Real issue for some of you. God's good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. You know if that's a family pattern. You know, you know, if, if you dig around in your family, you know that there's issues with your family. You know, I, I, I can't say, but I've dealt with guys who have struggled with pornography goes back grandfather father struggles with pornography grandfather struggles with pornography they never get free and they're just drinking in the empty pit and the empty puddle of that because they don't believe ultimately that God loves them and he's for them lying and anger and violence we just need to be honest and open do you know sometimes people think they anger the answer to, to lying and covering up is keeping quiet. You know the world with their confidentiality policies, they think that's the way, just don't mention it. What's the gospel way of dealing with lying and covering up? Be open and be accountable and be honest. So it means that sometimes we might have to ask the difficult questions to each other. I just observe you're like that, or just see you're like that. But speak the truth in love, isn't it? It's not about trying to be horrible but actually one of the things that's the what's the best way to deal with that if you've got stuff that you're hiding just get it out there and you're free in your relationship in your marriage get it out there get it out there breaks lying and covering up relational distance and lack of closeness lots of hugs that is true isn't it in one sense relational distance and lack of closeness it's not, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be your, uh, I'm going to be your daddy now. You know that's not the kind of closeness and intimacy we're looking for. You know we're we're talking about real, honest, integrity, open and closeness. But we still have to be aware, guys with guys, girls with girls. We still have to be aware of that. And um, and you want to take your mask off because you never get loved and cared for unless you take your mask off. Families where you never can say that I, I messed up. You know, you're never going to get healed, are you? And if there's, what is the ultimate answer to cut off and broken relational breakup? Forgiveness, isn't it? It's the prodigal son story. Oh man, I've messed up. Cut off, I said, I wish you were dead and my relation, breaks. I don't want to speak to you anymore. And he comes back, he don't say, well, we've got a few things we need to sort out. There's just hugs, isn't there? There's forgiveness. There's that. And, and do, you, do you see that if we truly live I'm done here. If we truly live as gospel family, we can reparent each other and remold each other and reshape each other so we're no longer a product of our past in the negative sense. Yeah. So what will happen is my kids will need prayer about having me as their dad because we're just not perfect. We don't want to put our identity and invest that I'm a British guy and my dad's called Eric. no. I'm a child of God, and my dad's called Father God. And that's what are going to reshape me. So Steve Timmis in his book, um, it's a great title. I wish Jesus hadn't said that, but I'm glad he did. He says this. I'll let him have the last word. So do we want to be part of Jesus' big agenda? Family and nation is his. Or continue on our own unremarkable path? Do we want to be part of the new community Jesus is creating which defies explanation apart from God's grace and goodness and displays His glory to a broken world? Or do we want to default to being shaped by my past, my family and my society's norms? It's a rhetorical question if you're a Christian. It should be. It says the supernatural work of grace that binds the family of God together in Jesus is altogether stunning. And anything... And everything we hold dear, including our de- ideas about family, can be safely entrusted to God, our great Father, and to Jesus, our brother and King. That's where we're trying to go. We can't produce that by doing a program. Let's have a marriage course and parenting course. We do it by deeply, deeply committing ourselves. <laughs> For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Center ourselves in Jesus. Say, so "Let's live gospel lives as family."